You're listening to Experimental History. I'm Adam. And this is Science is a Strong Link Problem, subtitle, or How to Eat Fewer Asparagus Beetles. Um, This is one of the top five most viewed articles from 2023, um, and I think one of the most important and also one of the most misunderstood. Um, So let's see. Let's do it. Uh, As always, one take. There are two kinds of problems in the world, strong link problems and weak link problems. Weak link problems are problems where the overall quality depends on how good the worst stuff is. You fix weak link problems by making the weakest links stronger or by eliminating them entirely. Food safety, for example, is a weak link problem. You don't want to eat anything that will kill you. That's why it makes sense for the Food and Drug Administration to inspect processing plants, to set standards, and to ban dangerous foods. The upside is that, for example, any frozen asparagus you buy can only have, quote, 10% by count of spears or pieces infested with six or more attached asparagus beetle eggs and or sacs, end quote. The downside is that you don't get to eat the supposedly delicious kasu marzu, a Sardinian cheese with live maggots inside it. It would be a big mistake for the FDA to instead focus on making the safest foods safer or to throw the gates wide open so that we have a marketplace filled with a mix of extremely dangerous and extremely safe foods. In a weak link problem like this, the right move is to minimize the number of asparagus beetle egg sacs. Weak link problems are everywhere. A car engine is a weak link problem. It doesn't matter how great your spark plugs are if your transmission is busted. Nuclear proliferation is a weak link problem. It would be great if, say, France locked up their nukes even tighter, but the real danger is some rogue nation blowing up the world. Putting on too tight pants is a weak link problem. They're going to split at the seams. It's easy to assume that all problems are like this, but they're not. Some problems are strong link problems. Overall quality depends on how good the best stuff is, and the bad stuff barely matters. Like music, for instance. You listen to the stuff you like the most and ignore the rest. When your favorite favorite band releases a new album, you go, yippee! When a band you've never heard of and wouldn't like anyway releases a new album, you go, nothing at all. You don't even know what's happened. At worst, bad music makes it a little harder for you to find good music, or it annoys you by being played on the radio in the grocery store while you're trying to buy your beetle-free asparagus. Because music is a strong link problem, it would be a big mistake to have an FDA for music. Imagine if you could only upload a song to Spotify after you got a degree in musicology, or memorized all the sharps in the key of A-sharp minor, or demonstrated competence with the oboe. Imagine if the government inspectors showed up at music studios to ensure that no one was playing out of tune. You'd wipe out most of the great stuff and replace it with a bunch of music that checks all the boxes but doesn't stir your soul. And gosh darn it, souls must be stirred. Strong link problems are everywhere. They're just harder to spot. Winning the Olympics is a strong link problem. All that matters is how good your country's best athletes are. Friendships are a strong link problem. You wouldn't trade your ride or dies for better acquaintances. Venture capital is a strong link problem. It's fine to invest in a bunch of startups that go bust as long as one of them goes to a billion. 
there's an image here demonstrating that the difference between these that basically in a strong link problem, you have, you have good outliers at the top you want more of. In a weak link problem, you have bad outliers at the bottom you want fewer of. Figuring out whether a problem is a strong link or weak link is important because the way you solve them is totally different. Here's a chart. When you have a strong link problem, you want to increase outliers and variance and weirdness because you'll benefit more from having very good things. But in a weak link problem, you want to decrease outliers, variance, and weirdness because you'll be harmed by having more very bad things. For strong link problems, you'd want, you don't want to gatekeep because you might accidentally keep the best out. In weak link problems, you do want to gatekeep because it keeps the worst out. Uh, in strong link problems, you want to ignore the worst. In weak link problems, you want to improve the worst. In strong link problems, you want to improve the best. In weak link problems, you want to ignore the best. In a strong link problem, you accept risk because the downside doesn't matter. In a weak link problem, you avoid risk because the downside is all that matters. When you're looking to find a doctor for a routine procedure, you're in a weak link problem. It would be great to find the best doctor on the planet, of course, but an average doctor is fine. You just want to avoid someone who's going to prescribe you snake oil or botch your wart removal. For you, it's great to live in a world where doctors have to get medical degrees and maintain their licenses and where drugs are thoroughly checked for side effects. But if you're diagnosed with a terminal disease, you're suddenly in a strong link problem. An average doctor won't cut it for you anymore because average means you die. You need a miracle, and you're furious at anyone who would stop that from happening. The government for banning drugs that might help you, doctors who refuse to do risky treatments, and a medical establishment that's more worried about preventing quacks than allowing the best healers to do as they please. This section is called Rest in Peace, Lil Sperm Boys. Science is a strong link problem. In the long run, the best stuff is basically all that matters, and the bad stuff doesn't matter at all. The history of science is littered with the skulls of dead theories. No more phlogiston nor phlegm, no more luminiferous ether, no more geocentrism, no more measuring someone's character by the bumps on their head, no more barnacles magically turning into geese, no more invisible rays shooting out of people's eyes, no more plum pudding, and perhaps saddest of all, no more little dudes curled up inside sperm cells. There's a picture there of what people used to think sperm cells were, and they, they've got a little guy inside them. Um, or little, they're like little dudes made out of sperm. Our current scientific beliefs are not a random mix of the dumbest and smartest ideas from all of human history, and that's because the smarter ideas stick around while the dumber ones kind of go nowhere on average. The hallmark of a strong link problem. That doesn't mean better ideas win immediately. Worse ideas can soak up resources and waste our time, and frauds can mislead us temporarily. It can take longer than a human lifetime to figure out which ideas are better, and sometimes progress only happens when old scientists die. But when a theory does a better job of explaining the world, it tends to stick around. Parenthetical, science being a strong link problem doesn't mean that science is currently strong. I still think we're living in the dark ages, just less dark than before. End parenthetical. This section's called Scientific Kryptonite. Here's the crazy thing. Most people treat science like it's a weak link problem. Peer-reviewing publications and grant proposals, for example, is a massive weak link intervention. We spend 15,000 collective years of effort every year trying to prevent bad research from being published. 
We force scientists to spend huge chunks of time filling out grant applications, most of which will be unsuccessful, because we want to make sure we aren't wasting our money. These policies, like all forms of gatekeeping, are potentially terrific solutions for weak link problems, because they can stamp out the worst research. But they're terrible solutions for strong link problems, because they can stamp out the best research too. Reviewers are less likely to greenlight papers and grants if they're novel, risky, or interdisciplinary. When you're trying to solve a strong link problem, this is like swallowing a big lump of kryptonite. Parenthetical, peer review also does a pretty bad job at stamping out bad research too. Oops, and parenthetical. Giant replication projects like this one, this one, this one, this one, and this one also only make sense for weak link problems. There's no point in picking out some studies that are convenient to replicate, doing them over, and reporting only 36% of them re replicate. In a strong link situation, most studies don't matter. To borrow the words of a wise colleague, what do I care if it happened a second time? I didn't care when it happened the first time. Doing these studies is kind of like walking through a Barnes & Noble, grabbing whichever novels catch your eye, and reviewing them. Only 36% of novels are any good, you report. That's fine. Novels are a strong link problem. You read the best ones, and the worst ones merely take up shelf space. Most novels are written by Daniel Steele anyway. You should see also, psychology may, also, may be a stinking load of hogwash, and that's just fine. Previous article. This section is called Cheaters Sometimes Win, and that's okay. I think there are two reasons why scientists act like science is a weak link problem. The first reason is fear. Competition for academic jobs, grants, and space in prestigious journals is more cutthroat than ever. When a single member of a grant panel, hiring committee, or editorial board can tank your career, you better stick to low-risk ideas. That's fine when we're trying to keep beetles out of asparagus, but it's not fine when we're trying to discover fundamental truths about the world. See also grant funding is broken. How to fix it? Another previous article. The second reason is status. I've talked to a lot of folks since I published The Rise and Fall of Peer Review and got a lot of comments, and I've realized that when scientists tell me we need to prevent bad research from being published, they often mean we need to prevent people from gaining academic status that they don't deserve. That is, to them, the problem with bad research isn't really that it distorts the scientific record. The problem with bad research is that it's cheating. I get that. It's maddening to watch someone get ahead using shady tactics. Ta here's my tactics. Tactics. And it might seem like the solution is to tighten the rules so we can catch more of the cheaters. But that's weak link thinking. The real solution is to care less about the hierarchy. If you spend your life yelling at bad scientists, you'll make yourself hoarse. If you spend your life trying to do great science, you might forever change the world for the better, which seems like a better use of time. This section is called The Missing Strong Links. Here's our reward for a generation of weak link thinking. The U.S. government spends 10 times more on science today than it did in 1956, adjusted for inflation. We've got loads more scientists, and they publish way more papers. And yet science is less disruptive than ever. There's a bunch of links here. You, you know that. There's, it's less disruptive than ever. Scientific productivity has been falling for decades. And scientists rate the discoveries of decades ago as worthier than the discoveries of today. Reminder, if you want to blame this on ideas getting harder to find, I will fight you. We should have seen this coming because the folks doing the strongest link research have been warning us about it for a long time. One of my favorite genres is Nobel Prize winner explains how it would be impossible to do their Nobel Prize winning work today. 
For instance, here's Peter Peter here here Peter Higgs. Here's Peter Higgs. Nobel Prize in Physics 2013. Quote, today I wouldn't get an academic job. It's as simple as that. I don't think I'd be regarded as productive enough. End quote. Here's Sidney Brenner, uh, Nobel Prize in 2002, talking about Frederick Sanger, who run, uh, won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 1958 and 1980. Quote, a Fred Sanger would not survive today's world of science. With continuous reporting and appraisals, some committee would note that he published little of import between insulin in 1952 and his first paper on RNA sequencing in 1967, with another long gap until DNA sequencing in 1977. He would be labeled as unproductive, and his modest personal support would be denied. We no longer have a culture that allows individuals to embark on long-term and what would be considered today extremely risky projects. End quote. Here's Carol Greider, who won the Nobel Prize in 2009. Quote, I'm not sure in the current climate we have for research funding that I would have received funding to be able to do the work that led to the Nobel Prize, Greider said at, the at a National Institutes of Health event last month, adding that her early work on enzymes and cell biology was well outside the mainstream. End quote. Here's John Solston, who won in 2002. Quote, I wandered along to the chemistry labs, more or less on the rebound, and asked about becoming a research assistant. It was the 60s, a time of university expansion. The doors were open, and a 2-1, which is roughly equivalent to a B, was good enough to get me in. I couldn't have done it now. End quote. And here's Jeffrey C. Hall, who won in 2017. Quote, I admit that I resent running out of research money. In my day, you could get a faculty job with zero postdoc papers, as in the case of yours truly. But now the CV of a successful applicant looks like that of a newly minted full professor from olden times. U.S. institutions, possibly also those in other countries, behave as though they and their PIs are entitled to research funding, which will magically materialize from elsewhere. Get a grant, surf. If you can't do it quickly or have trouble for some years, or if your funding doesn't get renewed despite continuing productivity, forget it. But what if there are so many applicants, as there are nowadays, that even a meritorious proposal gets the supplicant nowhere or causes a research group to grind prematurely to a halt? Thus, as I say so long, one component of my last gasp disquiet stems from pompously worrying about biologists who are starting out or are in mid-career. End quote. It goes on and on like this. When the people doing the best work are saying, hey, there's no way you could do work like this anymore, Maybe we should listen to them. This section is called What to Do When You Stink. I've got a hunch that science isn't the only strong link problem we've mistakenly diagnosed as a weak link problem. It's easy to get your knickers in a pinch about weak links. Look at these bad things. They're so bad. Can you believe how bad they are? It's even easier to never think about the strong links that were prevented from existing. The terrible study that gets published sounds like nails on a chalkboard, but the terrific study that never got funded sounds like nothing at all. Purge all the terrible at the cost of the terrific, and all you're left with is the mediocre. Of course, it's also easy to make the opposite mistake, to think you're facing a strong link problem when you are, in fact, facing a weak link problem. It doesn't really matter how rich the richest are when the poorest are starving. Issuing parking tickets is pointless when people are getting mugged on the sidewalk. Upgrading your wardrobe is a waste when you stink like a big fart. Whether we realize it or not, we're always making calls like this. 
Whenever we demand certificates, credentials, professionalism, inspections, standards, and regulations, we are saying, this is a weak link problem. We must prevent the bad. Whenever we demand laissez-faire, the cutting of red tape, the letting of a thousand flowers bloom, we are saying, this is a strong link problem. We must promote the good. When we get this right, we fill the world with good things and rid the world of bad things. When we don't, we end up stunting science for a generation. Or we end up eating a lot of asparagus beetles. That's experimental history. Thank you for listening. Uh, you can get every post at www.experimental-history.com as well as the mystery posts, uh, which are for paid subscribers, the folks who make experimental history happen. Thank you if that's you. Thank you in the future if that's you soon. Um, glad to have you either way. The music you're listening to is by Brandon Rojar. The photographs are by my dad in the 80s. And uh, I'm Adam. This is Experimental History. Thanks for listening. See you soon.